0: Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Blauvanga, turning yellow kit. There he is. He's over.
1: Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Live. This is a live edition of our weekly podcast where we review and preview the big matches in Australian rugby. I'm your host Ando and with me tonight are regulars Mitch hey, and Rev. G'day. Awesome. Well, this is a quick reminder as we begin the show to make sure that you hashtag get involved. We want to make sure that your questions, comments and banter keep coming throughout the entirety of the show, because what are we without our loyal and fun and engaged listeners? So firstly, to start things off, massive shout out to Sheepy, as always. Love your work, mate. Is everyone ready to watch Wallabies kick the spring box on Sunday? And Hugh (laughs) Tindall replies, yes, yes, I am. So thank you guys for getting in straight away. We're very, very excited to talk about, well, what happened last Sunday, although many of us have tried to exercise that from our memories, as well as what is coming up this weekend. So why don't I start off by taking you through what we're going to be talking about tonight. To begin with, we're going to be covering Bledisloe Cup game three before we then move on to some pretty contentious stuff about Geordie Barrett's red card. We'll then go into some analysis or a bit of detailed analysis of the game from the weekend, actually. We've got some clips we want to take you through and talk through some elements of what the Aussies could be improving on for the upcoming game against the Springboks before we then finish off with our overview slash predictions for the upcoming match of the Wallabies versus South Africa. So to begin with, why don't we start off with the really basic point where we just review what happened on the weekend. Rev, we've already spoken about it on the pod, but can you just take us through, are you still feeling as salty, as upset, as disappointed as we were on actually having to record on Monday night because we just couldn't bring ourselves to do it on Sunday?
2: (laughs) No, I think I I sort of trudged through so much of the stuff on that uh, Monday, just preparing for the podcast. So actually, just seeing this uh, score back up on the screen does make me a bit upset. But um, (laughs) no, I I kind of put it back, um, you know, to the furthest, deepest channels of my brain, and I haven't really thought about it uh, until right now. So it it is kind of nice to be, uh, you know, fresh. But it, it was a tough match to watch, and you know, so many things keep getting brought up online. So there are constant reminders. One of the things that I hadn't thought about too much on that Monday was that Bowden Barrett missed five conversions. So that scoreline really could have been a lot worse. But um, yeah, I mean, new week, new task at hand. So I'm pretty excited.
1: How good. Now, Mitch, were there any takeaways that you had from the game that are still stuck with you to this point within a week? Yeah, I just, I just
0: feel like we missed an opportunity. And for everything that happened on the weekend, every opportunity the Wallabies were presented with, we ended up either fumbling it or uh, throwing it away. And we just didn't take anything that was on, offered to us. So like, it was a big opportunity that we missed by not winning it in the first game of the year in Perth and uh, on home soil. Um, so, or well, not first game of the year on home soil, but first game in Perth for a while. So uh, yeah, it just like putting it all together. It just feels like we missed a big opportunity. Lots of little things that didn't go our way, um, but it is a quick turnaround. We've got the world world
1: cup winners coming up on Sunday. So we uh, start looking to that now. Well, one of the big pieces of news that came out over well, throughout the week was the fact that Geordie Barrett's red card on Marika Corombete was rescinded by Sansa. It wasn't even WIU getting involved, it was Sansa. And so one of the really, really um, big things that's come out is the idea of whether or not he well basically what's come out is that they have said it shouldn't have been a red card at all and the red card has been completely removed from his record and there was some pretty detailed evidence that new zealand rugby went into from a um a biomechanical specialist to provide evidence for why his foot would be lifting up at that last moment to I, i believe prove it wasn't intentional is the important point there um but what i wanted to just really briefly track through now is a bit of information regarding regarding some of why i think that decision is still wrong and why i actually think that damon murphy did make the right decision on the weekend and yes i am saying that i know better than sansa so let's (laughs) just hold on to that point whilst we begin so Look, let's begin with the basic question of has head contact occurred? The answer is yes. And so we move on to point two. Was there any foul play? Um, And by the way, this is the um, law application guidelines that were released, and it's the most up-to-date version of what the referees are using for their adjudication process, okay? So was there any foul play? So for this, we actually have to move forward to this slide here, where when you actually look in the laws of the game for foul play, The principle is that a player who commits foul play has to be cautioned or temporarily suspended or sent off. So basically penalty, yellow card, red card. Okay. And the action the the point of the law that this falls under is point 11. So 911 players mustn't do anything that is reckless or dangerous to others. And so I would argue that what he what Jordan Barrett has done or Jordy Barrett has done is dangerous to Marika Corumbete because it was very very close to Marika receiving a stud to the eye which could have had serious implications for his vision and um just for his eyesight moving into the future. Now, regardless of whether Geordie Barrett is leaning, needing to lift his foot back to balance himself a bit better, was it Geordie's fault that his foot hit Marika's face. And I would be saying yes, because if you actually watch the clip at real time, it's not as though Marika's about to take him out in the air. He actually slows down to wait until the moment that Jordy's about to hit the floor and smash him. So I would be saying that even though there was an intent from Geordie Barrett to hurt Marika Korembete, even if it was a... Um, An unintentional lifting of the foot. Was he still at fault for the fact that his studs nearly copped Marika in the eye? Yes, he's at fault, even if there was an intent. So therefore, what was the degree of danger? I would be arguing that it's high degree of danger. So therefore, it's a red card because of the proximity to the eye and the force that it's coming at because his whole body weight is coming down as well. And so then we move to the, is there any mitigation? And mitigation considerations, was there a change of the line of sight? No, sudden significant drop of movement into Marika's face, no. A clear attempt to change height, no. Level of control, not really. And the final point doesn't matter either. And so when we take all of those into account, I actually believe that there wasn't sufficient mitigation and the red card should have been upheld. And if anybody else needs further proof that I am right, because really this is what this is all about, boys, that I'm right. (laughs) Um, Nigel Owens has done a piece as well uh, in his ref's corner where he has come to a similar conclusion. Uh, Rev, do you agree? Do you disagree? Have I gone through the framework appropriately? What do you think?
2: I didn't um, pay any attention to what Nigel said, but hearing you say it, now I agree. Um, yes. no, look, I, I agreed, uh, with the red card decision from the outset. I didn't really think it was contentious. Um, I think it, it was reckless. Um, and there was enough sort of, I, I guess there was enough clarity around it that I could see it as a red card and that even in replays, it looked like a red card, but I'm also happy that it's been dropped just because I think it wasn't to that extent where he should be missing out games for it It was a little bit over the place. People are drawing, um, Uh, correlation to the elbow that has sort of sidelined Dane Hale at Petty indefinitely and how Geordie Barrett's a really dirty and um, consistently reckless player. I don't find that to be the case. I think um, David Murphy made the right call. Unfortunately, uh, World Rugby again have gone behind the backs of referees and sort of diminished their opinion. But at the end of the day, I think it's also come up with the best outcome for Geordie Barrett, uh, the All Blacks, and also probably just the game in general.
1: And there's an interesting comment coming in here from Richard Norton Taylor. Sour much? I'd actually argue the opposite, mate. I'm not sour at all. Uh, I do think that the decision to completely rescind the red card is incorrect. But I'm actually happy that he's not having time off because I don't think it was intentional. And his actions immediately demonstrate in my mind that it wasn't intentional, which shouldn't factor in. But regardless, I don't think he meant it. Um, And so I do think he deserved a red card but I'm happy that he didn't have any further consequences from it. Um, so Hugh Tyndall has jumped in. Intent is relevant. I don't agree with that, but that's the way it is. Should be a red and no further suspension. They scrubbed it so he has a clean record. That's the real conspiracy here. <laughs> uh, we'll stay away from conspiracies, but we agree with the first part particularly that it should have been a red with no further suspension. Um, I think what the biggest, we... before, before yep, we move on,
0: I just want to have something to say on this one. Before, uh, I think the biggest issue we've got with this is now that uh, Sansa has, or World Rugby, and Sansa has now overturned the last three red cards that have been issued, and whether that's in test matches or in Super Rugby Trans-Tasman, it's showing that, first of all, they're not, or it makes us think that the referees aren't following the guidelines that they've outlined if they're saying that, yes, you've given a red card, it's the wrong option, we've overturned it completely, which now then, they didn't mitigate it down, they didn't say it was a yellow card, it should have stuck with that, it should have been a penalty, they said he has nothing. They've overturned the red card completely. So we've seen that against Marika Corabetti, We've seen that against Lockie Swinton. And now we've seen it against Geordie Barrett. We uh, have an issue as a game now moving forward that uh, we're not actually, we we talk about wanting to protect player welfare and player safety and any contact with the head needs to be uh, handled in such a strong way. Yet we're overturning situations and we're overturning decisions where the framework has been set up to protect that. So it's dangerous. It's I'm not really sure how this is going to affect the game in the
1: next few years, but it's very interesting to see that we've set this precedent so far. A couple more comments that are coming in from uh, Tim Foster. Does Barrett only get a suspension if Marika has a serious injury? Really great question. Um, I it, It's sad to say that he probably does get a suspension if Marika is seriously well, injured from it. They do say in the
0: framework or the outcome that they said, the, they took into account the fact that there was no serious injury which from the player, which they shouldn't do because yeah. it's not outcome based, first of all. And it's, and they've taken into account intent and Jody didn't intend to hit him, but he still did it. It's, it's still considered reckless, which is different to intent.
1: Another question that's come in, how doesn't this set a precedent that kicking out is fine? A very dangerous act, in my opinion. Uh, there have been some other examples of players that have kicked out that have received significant bans, both in Southern and Northern Hemisphere games as well. Um, I remember yeah. the player, was it a Hurricanes player that got Cam Clark? Highlanders. Highlanders. Highlanders, yeah. Um, no, the Cam Clark, yeah, yeah. And so he received a pretty lengthy suspension as well. It's happened in the US too. Sorry, it's happened in Europe as well. Um, so I... I think this one, because it's Sansa, it's been very well argued. I'm, I don't, I'm hoping this isn't going to be precedent. Um, mm-hmm. Now, finally, before we move on into our next section, where Rev's going to take us through some analysis, I uh, have this random bloke Dave <laughs> Chilton saying drop bang. Just get gets in early, here. doesn't it? Come he? On, get gets in early. Here. We don't want to in early negativity. Um, so, <laughs> Rev, we're going to be moving through to some of the analysis, mate.
2: Let's do it. We've got um, a, a few clips from the weekend that are worthwhile showing. So this will dig up some you know, painful memories, I'm sure. Uh, I'll, I'll start it off uh, with two players, one from the All Blacks and one from the Wallabies. And really the intent with this is just to try and showcase the difference between how we see space and how we capitalize on a break. So I might start with um, TJ Perenara's intercept of a Rob Valentini offload. We just oh. want to get a bit of a look for how they...
1: Sorry, it might be a little bit choppy, but you should be able to get it. Or is this the wrong clip for you, mate? Uh,
2: no, I think this is coming up to the right about bit. of the time. Yeah, yeah it's coming it's up the time. Time to the out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is good because it's showing sort of the build-up to it. And one of the good things is this is off um, an attacking play. Uh, the Wallabies are in the All Blacks 22. It's all looking quite good. Um, they've been burned a little bit before because at this point they've already thrown that uh, intercept from Philip. So they're trying not to be too um, wide with their passes. They are trying to do the nice tight ones uh, with the forwards. Now, as they spread across the field here, what happens is um, they're building up for a nice little break where they get some nice interplay between the forwards. Has oh, that gone back to the start of the video?
1: Yeah, I believe it has. Apologies. Okay. Let me to right. me have a crack
0: at it? You keep talking, Rev, and I'll have a go at it.
2: In any case, um, even if the video doesn't come up, the, the part that I'm sure we'll all remember is uh, Valentini offloads and TJ Perenaro plucks it, you know, spectacularly makes a really good break. And the awesome thing that he does is he notices he's not going to be able to run around anyone. He can see that there's defenders in front of him, but he's got the spatial awareness to recognize that George Bridge is right on the other side of the field um, and has acres of space in front of him. So he puts in this perfectly weighted, perfectly placed kick, which Bridge uh, Bridge picks up and scores really effortlessly. And to me, I just thought, gee, that is a team that knows exactly where uh, all their players are. They've got such good vision of the field. And they can just turn really attacking opportunities from the other team so into their own attacking comes opportunities. Here, oh, his next one. Yes, so he comes and the then gets offload and just plucked perfectly. And it's this break. So he's got so many wallabies around. Him. Look at that. There's five players in gold jerseys. Kicks off his left foot and sees George Bridge <laughs> in space. And to me, that's that's beautiful. That's their second best try of the match. Um, it's just so well worked. And it's in the and 72nd me, minute as well. And, and yeah, exactly. They should be run off their legs, but they've got players coming off the bench doing brilliant, um, dare I say, orgasmic things. And Ooh, what I that's think. That's is high What's the next stuff.
0: video you're after? Well,
2: the and banks the next break is the Banks break, because I want to compare it to our own uh, similar opportunity where I think it might have been Scott Barrett uh, takes a hit up. Uh, we turn the ball over in contact. And I think where well, this is a great opportunity for the Wallabies. So Look, Karevi is running with it. He gets uh, fended in the offload away. Banks is in space. He's our fastest player. And is chasing him down. But Tate McDermott is in the perfect position. So that spot there, he's a few meters behind. He is ready for what should be a really straightforward midfield grubber. Doesn't need to be perfect. Yeah, that's Kelleway.
1: That's Kelleway. Yep. Is that so it's Kellaway Kellaway in, is sorry? inside. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. So just oh, on the apologies. inside
2: here, that's Callaway. Um, yep. sorry, Kellaway is inside him, and I just think that is, and again, it's what Kellaway does perfectly. It's how he scored that really nice try, um, at the start of the year was he knows where to be. So he's not making the long breaks, but he's just prepared for the option. And twice, you could just see he's fed up because Banks has made this perfect break. He just has to kick it anywhere in field and he'll win the race to it. Um, much the same as how Alessio does that cross field kick and he is saying, well, no, just hands will do it. I don't know why he put it through. We've got smart players, but unfortunately we just couldn't capitalise on breaks the same way New Zealand can. And that, to me, is one of our biggest things, is every mistake we make New Zealand are on top of, every mistake they make, we let them get away with it. And that will be the biggest thing to try and overcome uh, against the Springboks this week.
1: So just bringing up a comment here from Dave Shilton again, put it on the boot infield, agreed, and then bringing up your next comment, drop banks. So (laughs) (laughs) we may well get to that point later. All right. Yes, so I- the, the next point that I believe we're going to move to now was something from Mitch in terms of the disallowed tries that happened during the game. Is that right, Matt? Yeah. So I, my point's very similar
0: to what Rev just went through. Um, I'll add it in. So this is Samu's try, or Samu's set up a disallowed try. So he breaks through the, the center of the ruck here, ruck in hyphenations, because technically, it's been ruled as a ruck, but there was no plays from New Zealand bound. So he breaks through. And very similar to what Mitch was just saying or Rev was just saying in his last point is when our Wallabies players make space or make uh, a break, a line break, they don't seem to know what to do with the ball. Marika Korobedi is very, uh, ve- very keen to score points and he's probably a little bit too eager to score points in this game, uh, ultimately leading to our two tries being disallowed. But Krevi makes break, line break which is brilliant, and it's coming. I've clicked play. So it's just lagging. Here we go. Yep. Offloads to Corabetti, uh, who's there, gets tackled short. But the thing I wanted to pull up, uh, it might cause a bit of an issue, but if you go back and look at that last frame, there's no Wallabies player within space for Corabetti to offload to. So he's done well because he's on Karevi's hit when he makes the initial break. But once he makes that line break, there's no one in support. Now, when the All Blacks, conversely, make a line break, there's always two or three players there that are ready for offload, ready for someone to to keep the ball alive. Uh, And that's ultimately what ends up disallowed. Not that in itself, but we end up not getting a try allowed.
1: Uh, So we go back. Let's skip forward a little bit. And so the other disallowed try, that was Kurembede going through the bottom of the mall as it's going over the line. That's Correct.
0: Yep. yep. so yeah, okay. penalty here. Go to the line out, execute you it perfectly. Execute a line out for mm. once. That's good.
1: It's <laughs> a good shift we to we the back through. of the line out as
0: well. Corabetti gets the ball, sort of crawls on the ground and ends up getting over the line, which ever with said no try because he's double movement on the ground. The interesting one I wanted to go back and show in this one, if we can see it, uh, the internet being a little bit funny, but this is a set play. Now, it's interesting that we don't go for just a regular play mall try and just try and drive it over the the, the line. Corabetti is standing at the front of the, the line out when we throw that ball in and he comes in and takes the ball completely. Now I don't know specifically if this is a set play by the Wallabies or it's Marika Corabetti wanting to get on the board because Finger comes through like he always does and binds on the back of the mall but he doesn't have the ball. Corabetti's actually got the ball a- ahead of him. Uh, so then the mall sort of stops or collapses and Corabetti goes to ground and then Grubbers and sort of sk- shimmies over the line, uh, which is disallowed. But see, there's Flau Fingers standing at the back
1: mm.
0: at this play. He hasn't even actually committed to the to the mall, uh, where we normally see him come in and, and steal the ball and get that that strong position and drive over. Yeah. So again, I don't know whether this is a, a situation of Correbetti wants to get involved and score the try and get his name on the on the score sheet, or it's a set play. Uh, but it's one of the only options we get in the game to to really go to our mall and, and be effective, and we butchered it.
2: And then the That's worst exactly. thing, David Havili yeah, does yeah. the same thing for the All Blacks two minutes later. So he's a back that joins the back of the mall, except he scores off it. It's just, again, if we can relate it to my first point before, the things that we try and do against the All Blacks that just fall short, they seem to nail. Um, That's right. And that, that might lead pretty well, Endo, to some of the videos you want to analyze. Um, the first one being that charge down and sort of uh, break that comes from it.
1: Well, what I actually thought was because the internet's being a bit of a bum at the moment, we might skip forward if that's okay to the forward play. Um, yep. Because yep. one of the things that... Um, Mitch, do you want to get it up or are you okay if yep, I... I'm getting it up. I'm getting it up. Okay, wonderful. Thank you very much. Get ready for to stop it at a couple of points if that's all right. Yep. Um, so what we're going to be looking at here is just some of the ways in which our general... Um, play is not being particularly effective so here we have a play at the back um, banks we'll just wait for it to catch up we have a quick dart from the ruck here from tate I'm just waiting for it to catch up, boys. So, the next the next player will be Tate making a little dart from the ruck. Um, once, I think it's Iketau has got some pretty good um, metres over the front. So, McDermott will make a run-up. And as soon as the forward runner gets the ball off for our finger, can you pause it there? Um, and you'll see that basically our... Nah, it's not working. Let's just take it off and I'll talk through it instead the internet's just being a bum so let's just cancel that basically one of the main critiques that i had of the game on a weekend and we were going to pause it there maybe we'll do some still frames next time but basically our forward play is not being particularly effective in that we're not giving our players enough options when they have the ball so normally you have a pod system um three two three depending upon the setup of the back line but normally you'll have the one forward who's at the point of the pod and they usually have a player on the inside on on the inside or the outside to be popping it to but the problem that we're having is that too often the supporting players within that pod are not at a close enough distance to be a realistic option for the pass right before the gain line or right before the attacking line and so what that means is that the defensive line as soon as the forward in that pod gets the ball they know that that wallabies player is eight times out of 10, nine times out of 10, just going to be hitting it up. And so it enables the defense to have one or two men in the tackle, get a dominant hit pushing back and therefore we're losing our forward momentum and that's when you see and there were going to be some good examples in that clip i'm a bit annoyed it's not working but that's (laughs) when you see when they go for that play that cut back play at the back of that forward pod often to karevi within this game the outer new zealand defense is able to then push up because they're not having to retreat back because we've got the momentum from the previous hit up And so it's frustrating because it's a simple thing. If you keep, well, maybe it's not so simple. I haven't played professional rugby, but (laughs) if the forward runner is able to keep the ball in two hands until the last minute to at least provide the defense with multiple pictures, and if those support runners are closer in providing realistic passing options for them, it's making the defense choose. And Morgan Turunui used to always say that this is the bodies in motion idea. If you can paint multiple pictures, is an attack that the defense has to respond to they're going to be less efficient within a defensive plays and it's something that we're just not doing and it's something that i believe is super simple to be addressing and i actually think that with the weekend's match coming up against the springboks with the amazing speed of their umbrella defense out wide basically cutting off any wide passing options that actually this is going to have to be the way that we go moving forward into this match on Sunday because if we're trying to play wide, we're just we're just going to continually lose ground to the Springboks defence.
2: Yeah. No, I think he absolutely nailed that. And that's, especially as you mentioned that um, umbrella defence, this is going to be the first match Lacanio Ams played against the Wallabies and he must just be licking his lips watching the same, you know, games we are because every time we seem to go wide, uh, we're just making a bit of a mess of it. And I think it's something that... Um, Alex North has just thrown in the chat as well, that is a nice little reference to that is, as you said, Ando, um, as we get Tate around the ball and as he's around the ruck, we're not really making a massive use of the forwards uh, that we have available because we're not getting massive amounts of forwards making those massive um, hits in the ruck or trying to steal a turnover ball. But at the same time, we don't have those big runners that are options off the nine or even off the 10 further out wide. It seems to be really just maybe a hit-up here or there, but otherwise give it to Karevi. Um, so assuming that he's named again this week, it's going to be very interesting to see how we adapt to that with the bigger bodies of that South African back. Yep. Yeah,
0: particularly this week. It seemed like we were more worried, particularly in our uh, loose forwards, of setting up that screen or that, um yeah, the screen uh, to then make it look like we're doing, going for a pick-and-drive but then throwing it out the back. And we did that so many times. It wasn't fooling anyone. And it was pretty obvious. So it was ineffectual in that we weren't actually taking the ball to the line. And then Karevi just take, gets the ball at the back of the screen and then hits the line and the All Blacks just stand, stand off and wait for him.
2: Yeah, That right, probably Mitch. covers a lot of our analysis. So we want to get um, Mitch going through our ladder for the Rugby Championship and we'll have a bit of a look at some of the fixtures over this weekend.
0: All right. So looking at the standing for the Rugby Championship so far. So we've got New Zealand squarely in first place. On plus fifty-two points, they've got ten points um, that they've accrued because they've won every game so far. So they're played two, won two. We've got South Africa, who's also played two games and they've won two as well. They're on nine points uh, with a plus uh, differential of thirty-nine points. We then have the Pumas or Argentina coming in third. With again, they've played two games, haven't won any yet, but they've they've got a negative points differential of negative thirty-nine whereas Australia is coming in fourth and we've got a negative points differential of minus 52.
1: So it's not... you remember any of our predictions at the start of the rugby championship? I'm pretty sure I said something to the effect of we need to beat Argentina twice and we need to get one win against South Africa or um, New Zealand. Or the All Blacks. (laughs) Uh, To to consider it a success. Well, things have not started well, (laughs) if I can say that. But
0: we still could do that. We still could do that.
1: It doesn't look likely, but we still could do that. Good comment here from Harry Dale. Where do we think our for and against will end up considering minus 52 as our worst
2: ever? Yeah, this is going to be tough because I think we're going to have to be lower than that. I mean, I can't... Even if we beat uh, Argentina, I can't imagine a world in which we beat them by more than South Africa beat us. Uh, and 2018 was a pretty poor year for us. So if we go worse than negative 52, it's it'll be nearly impressive. How about that? It'll be... Um, <laughs> statistically really significant. So that'll be impressive.
1: I just feel like they'll be continuing the Waratahs tradition of having the worst year ever and breaking <laughs> record after record for biggest defeats, mm-hmm. biggest losses, most consecutive losses, all that type of thing. If anything, I'll be kind of impressed and it will just add to the joy, which has been 2021 for me.
0: Well, let's, let's keep things into perspective. We did win our first series in however many years earlier this year against France. I know a lot of people have wiped that from the memory. So we're already sitting in a place that better than we have for a few other years so far. And we have realistically only played New Zealand. So we haven't played South Africa in how many years now? How many has it been since we played two. South Africa? Two, three, three years? Two. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Argentina, last year we saw that they were a bit of a bogey team for us. We weren't able to really beat that deadlock. But hopefully moving forward, we have some good players coming back. We need to be positive. So looking forward to this weekend, we have the first double header. It is being played at Seabus Super Stadium on the Gold Coast. And all, both of these games are being played on Sunday night. So uh, not Saturday night, Sunday night, which I initially thought it was Saturday and then realized it was Sunday. So that's changed my whole plans for the weekend. <laughs> but we've got New Zealand hosting Argentina at 5 o'clock or 5 past 5 on Sunday afternoon. And then South Africa hosting Australia in Australia, which is a weird thing to see, uh, 8.05 p.m. kickoff in, at Seabus Super Stadium on the Gold Coast.
1: Rav, are you going to be heading down to those games?
2: Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be uh, on the coast on the Sunday um, helping move uh, for some of my parents' stuff. So I'm um, hoping to duck down to Rabina straight afterwards and catch those games. So that, that'll be really good. I'm so jealous.
1: <laughs> Three <laughs> consecutive weekends of rugby, although one of them is in Townsville. Um, but that's still that's still pretty Im- impressive I, uh... we were we were sitting last year saying how good it was going to be that
0: Sydney was going to host this <laughs> festival of rugby and unfortunately it didn't come to be, but now Queensland's taken it. Well done to Queensland.
1: You're welcome, Queensland. You're welcome. (laughs) So from Conrad McIndoe, we need more teams in a rugby championship constantly running into the brick walls that a South African New Zealand is impeding our development. Um, There's a big part of me that agrees with that and thinks that the inclusion of Japan and Fiji has got to be in the future um, and hopefully the Mm. near future. Um, Rev, what are you thinking is going to be the outcome of the New Zealand or what are your initial thoughts for New Zealand versus Argentina?
2: Yeah, I think the pressure is definitely on. Given Argentina got their first win ever last year, I think that really um, is such a massive, uh, I guess, duck to break for the uh, Argentinians. I also think it does mean that they're not going to come in with the same passion because that is a real big thing to try and want to beat. And now that they've got that, um, there isn't that same you know need to prove that wrong. Uh, and at the same time, New Zealand will probably also be a lot more wary Um, because traditionally they've sort of been competitive for 60 minutes and then have been able to pull away from the Pumas. Um, So to me, I think New Zealand are going to, you know, win this one. I think the interesting thing is Argentina don't make the same amount of mistakes as Australia do. So while they may not be, um, you know, they're not at the same level as the All Blacks, they're also not going to give them the same amount of opportunity. So I think this actually might be the first uh, chance that New Zealand get this year. To really try and test themselves against a team that is a bit more, um, not structured, but is a little bit more willing to keep offloads in tight and make sure that making decisions that actually benefit them and not the other team. So I'm, I'm very keen for this match, but I still think New Zealand probably get up by at least two scores. Mitch, are you of a similar persuasion?
0: Yeah, I just don't see, with the lead up and the way the All Blacks are going at the moment, I just don't see them being tripped up by this Argentinian side. Uh, No disrespect to Argentina at all, but they weren't that impressive in the first two rounds of the rugby champs against South Africa, and we did see that up against a side like South Africa, as Rev just mentioned, they didn't make as many mistakes as Australia did, but South Africa scored off a lot of their mistakes, and the few mistakes that they did make, they scored off, and the All Blacks we know and we have seen can do that tenfold. So Argentina pretty much need to be spotless and perfect to really push New Zealand, because this team is, is another level than it was last year, um, the All Blacks, that is. So I don't see it going any other way, and I, I imagine it'd be quite a high score. So I'm probably
1: saying All Blacks by 25. Big. Big, Hugh Tindall is kind of of a similar persuasion as well. All Blacks should carve this weekend. Argentina were punished by the box on turnover mistakes, just like Australia. And unless they tighten up and play tight, it could be another drubbing. Yeah, uh, Yeah, if you think, look at some of the passes that went to ground within the most recent match for the Argies, they were some of the key moments of the box able to used to actually get some tries down rather than just applying the pressure and being ruthless with their penalty conversions like they had been previously. Uh, Mitch, do you want to take us through the Wallabies and South Africa game now? Yeah. So how, Sorry, um... I meant to say Rev, I apologize. I meant to say Rev there. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> Rev, over to you, mate. Rev, you go.
2: Um, so luckily enough, the Springboks put out their team uh, quite a while ago. So we've got a bit of a chance to sort of run the rule over them and see how they're shaping up this week. Um, And it'll be interesting to see how our team sort of stacks up when it eventually gets named. But as you can see on the screen, if you're watching along, the Springboks have just named such a formidable pack. Like they've got experience throughout and then their backs are so exciting. Going through 1 to 15, we've got Steven Kitshoff, Bongi and Manumbi and Franz Malherba, which is just a heavy, awesome set piece uh, front row that's going to cause so much damage unless we really uh, hit the ground running. Eben Sabeth and Lou De Jaga in the locks, which is, you know, two of the best locks in the world, with a pretty all-star back row of Sia Khaleesi, Franco Mostert and Dwayne Vermeulen. Um, Mostert, I think a few people that might not follow the game as intently might think, oh, this is good. It's not Peter Seft Toit. But really, he's just as hard a worker. Like, he does so much of the grunt work, and he's a really good like-for-like fix, that um, blindside jersey for them, uh, given their different system. Through the back line, we've got Faf de Klerk and Andre Pollard. Um, a really established combo. Uh, de Klerk coming back, I think, for his first game in sort of uh, three or so matches, uh, missing out with injury. Uh, Damien Dierlande and Lacanio Am in the centres, forming a really nice partnership despite Am's uh, relative inexperience. Makazole, Mapimpy and Spoo, and Kosi on the wing, filling in for Cheslin Colby, who's out injured, and then Vili LaRue at fullback. Um, we're seeing a really nice blend of sort of the Stormers' front row and a few players that have played for Stormers uh, throughout the the back five, um, as well as a really heavy Sharks flavour to the back line as well. Uh, the interesting thing, they've got the 6-2 split, but more importantly, they've gone for three loosies on the bench. Um, so between the bench of Malcolm Marks, Oxen Shea, Vincent Koch, Marco Van Staden, Quagga Smith, Jasper Visa, uh, Herschel Yanchis and Damian Valemsa, they've really gone for just a mobile pack, and I think a lot of that's to try and cover Dwayne Vermeulen, who's making his first uh, start since the uh, Rugby World Cup final, I believe. So plenty to go through.
1: They're just such a massive side, aren't they? Like, even with a couple of the changes that they brought on, their most inexperienced player had, what, 49 caps to the name? Something like that.
2: Yeah, the least experienced for was Bongi and Manambi, who we would kill for, for the Wallabies. <laughs> Uh, and it's just further insult to injury when we see Malcolm Marks on the bench, who, as well, we would kill to have four in our team. So, like, it, it's a massive, um, a massive golf in experience between these two sides. And the box have been pretty humble to not mention it too much in a lot of the build up, but it really is going to be a big determining factor. Um, while we don't have the Wallabies team, we have also named our predicted team. So we've put the three best minds of Australian rugby together and have come up with <laughs> something that looks pretty nice on the eyes. So. For us, we're hoping to see the Brumbies' uh, front row reinstated of Slipper, Feinger, and Alalotoa, with Isaac Rodder promoted to start at lock and Matt Phillip joining him in the locks, and then a return to old with Rob Valentini, Michael Hooper, and Harry Wilson in the back row. Uh, ideally, we see the Reds' combination of Tate McDermott and James O'Connor reignited, with Hunter Paisami and Simon Karevi in the centres, Marika Karambetti and Andrew Callaway on the wings, and Rhys Hodge at fullback. And really inadvertently, it does give a really nice blend of sort of Reds players and Rebels players making up the whole backline, which could work out quite well for cohesion given we've had a bit of chop and change. Uh, on the bench, we'd hope to see Brendan Pangaramosa come back from injury with Angus Bell and Taniela Tupo, Dusty Swain getting his spot at lock, uh, and Pete Samu, Nick White, Nolo Lolasio, adding a bit of Brumby's flavour of the bench with impact, as well as Jordy Pattaya, who is hopefully the Mr. X-Factor, if he can come on and deliver like he has um, previously, but perhaps not quite at test level. So very keen to see a team like this, uh, ideally exactly like this, but uh, hopefully a team like this come through uh, tomorrow when he gets named.
1: Very importantly, we've got a quote comment here from uh, Steve Lenthal. What? No Quade at 10? Mitch, what say you?
0: <laughs>
1: I think Quade was, last week
0: was Quade's week. Uh, potentially next week, depending on how we go this week, if we get absolutely pumped by the Springboks, James O'Connor's not ready, and Noel Alessio is still playing as like he did last week. Maybe we look at bringing Quade in. I still think Hodge would get the, the shout over Quade, realistically. I know this is probably very tongue-in-cheek, this question but um, oh, it definitely
1: is from steve yes <laughs> I,
0: I don't i don't see quade getting a shot at the rugby champs from now on even if he did tra- i don't know we don't know if he's traveled to queensland or not but don't see him getting too much uh too much there uh, no, i want to i'll sorry, quickly th- throw this question because it has been and that's what i was going to say what why uh, did we select tupo off the bench and not start
1: him this week guys um, for me, it is the case that Tupo has never impressed me as a starter for the Wallabies. He His best games from my memory, and someone's welcome to prove me wrong, but his best games from my memory have always come off the bench, and his most damaging moments have always been in the latter stages of the game. And so I personally think that when you've got two, two like very, very highly regarded players, um, Props like Alan Awatoa and Nella, I think that really you're for choice. And there's no issue with starting Alan Awatoa when you can be bringing Nella on for his impact. I think that Nella's a bit more explosive. Um, and I'd personally be wanting to bring him on at like 40, 45 minutes. Um, maybe even do a half-time swap or something like that. I think that would be a great idea. I think that they've been leaving it a little bit late, around the 60th minute to be bringing him on. I I think he should be coming on earlier than that. But uh, personally, that's why I made that call. Rev, yourself?
2: Uh, For me, I think, especially for this game, we're coming up against two of the best scrummaging props in the world. Um, Franz Malherbert eats other props for breakfast. Like, he's ridiculously big. He's so good. He's so powerful in the scrum. Um, and Steven Kitchoff, he will be his opposite, is no worse. Like, he's probably more renowned for his dynamic ball play, but really he can just take over from anyone. Like, he's just um, replaced Beast, and really it's a miracle that Beast was able to keep him at bay because he's one of probably the best loose head prop in the world. Now, the strength that I see for Tupo is that his running game is really impressive. He's pretty good in the scrum, but, like, we want him sort of off um, the 9 or 10 making those big runs. To me, that still has more impact when he's doing that against slightly tired bodies. So I want him coming on between the 45th and 50th minute. Um, you know, when the teams are a little bit jaded you know, they've had the half time, but they're still, um, you know, dealing with the starting players. You see that 135 kilogram frame come in, um, that makes a big difference completely agreed there
1: now i don't think there's anything particularly contentious maybe our 9 10 combination personally i was a fan of bringing uh nick white back on into the starting line just because i think that the speed and accuracy of his passing may well be a little bit more beneficial um it also wouldn't surprise me personally if we saw hodge at 10 if o'connor is still unavailable so if o'connor's unavailable it wouldn't surprise me to see Hodge there and Banks still at 15 um, or Will to keep his place because I think Rennie is building for the future and is willing to continue to back Will because really there's no other out and out 10 in the squad right now. Um, there, is 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 <laughs> <laughs> there is one other theory. There's a future option.
0: There is one other theory that Christy Doran has released earlier this week that's been floating around that even if James O'Connor is fit, Dave Rennie still potentially might pick Lolesio at 10 to start with and bring James O'Connor in off the bench. Now, what do we think of that option?
1: I assume that's bringing to ease him back in after his injury. Um, and if that's that's the reasoning, yeah, sure. If it's not, I'd prefer Jock to be starting and Lolesio to challenge the line a little bit more later in the game. Um, I personally agree with Sheepy. Bring on Will Harrison at 10. If only he was in a squad, he's trapped in... A, he's trapped in... Um, New South Wales the at the beach moment. beaches somewhere, yeah. Yeah, and Steve Lengthal, understandably asks, he won't have played for 105, or Jock won't have played for 105 days. Happy for him to start or ease off in the bench. Rev?
2: Uh, to me, if he's healthy and Rennie deems him, you know, good enough to be in the 23, then he has to start. Um, he's our best fly half, so to me, it's a no-brainer. Uh, if he's under any injury cloud, don't put him in the 23 at all. Um to me, there's no world in which Jock comes off the bench uh, yep. because he is our best player. So he's either starting at 10 or it's still Alessio at 10 and we've got, you know, versatile options like, you know, Hodge if he's not listed at fullback or um, Paisami or Iketao, someone like that off the bench uh, in that place.
1: Yeah, brilliant. Well, um, guys, we're running out of time. We're nearly up to our 45-minute cutoff <laughs> point uh, <laughs> where we all turn into pumpkins or turn from pumpkins i'm not sure what it is but either way what we want to do is move into the final kind of our predictions for the result this weekend so asking you our loyal listeners what is your pick for the final result of australia versus south africa so could i please get you guys to type your results in type your predictions in but mitch to start with you mate what do you think australia versus south africa go
0: it's a little bit hard to say right now just because we don't know the team. There's a lot of variables that can sway my opinion. If James O'Connor is fit and ready, uh, whether we're going to have Banks back at fullback, bring Hodge somewhere in. I'm not sure what team we're going to get for Sunday. But at the same time, I really don't see we're going to need a massive improvement from the last few weeks to really challenge this Springbok side. And I just don't see that happening, unfortunately, with the players we currently have. So I'm going to go spring box
1: by 10. Spring box by 10. Okay, Rev? Uh, Box by 18. Box by 18. Fair enough. Um, I'll split you and go box by 15. Uh, So, yeah, we're all pretty... Pretty solid that the box are going to be getting up. But now let's go through and see what other people are saying. So we've got Hugh Tindall that for this result is saying box by five, but he's also picked the All Blacks by 15. Uh, Harry Dale says South Africa 24, Australia 17. He's put the numbers to it. Well done. So that? That's by seven, if my maths is correct. Uh, Brian Knight good. says the uh, Tars are going to get up. So good on you, mate. They'll get up one day. Um, <laughs> he's replying to the Will Harrison thing from before. <laughs> No, he's not. He's saying the tile's gone up. Um, Harry Dale says his wife doesn't know and doesn't care. Mine too, mate. It's an eternal disappointment. But we move on, don't we? We My wife is South African, so we'll see how that goes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Michael Gardner, being overly hopeful, Australia by two. Argentina are going to upset the kiwis and then box by 12 so matt from boar productions that is a big call <laughs> there the argentinians are going to get up uh zach chen states aussies by seven alex north 33 to 24 um to south africa and then australia has got climates of hope but will still lose painfully um Tim Foster, South Africa, by 15. Conrad Mackindo, Australia, by 15. Wow. Hey, good man.
2: Yeah, get in. <laughs> More dedicated than us. We're, we're all uh, on the box bandwagon.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not on a bandwagon. I'm just in a... He's picking with his heart. Week. He's me yeah. last week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brian Knight states, you want me to crash my train with that comment? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then he does say the box by 14. So it seems like the the loyal listeners are pushing forward with the box victory. And yes, Conrad, we have to believe. Whilst my head is saying that the box are going to get up, I will be cheering on the Wallabies loud and proud. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for your time tonight. It has been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to be here with you. We'll be having our normal pod as normal either on Sunday night recording or Monday night recording. Depending it'll have to be Monday night recording. Is. Monday I night recording is then. Kickoff is 8.05 on a
0: Sunday, I don't think, unless we're going live. It'll Ooh, be Sunday. Knows, so, probably, out probably a Monday night Tuesday
1: Friday. morning, 6 o'clock. Tuesday morning, 6 a.m. Make sure that you get involved. It has been an absolute pleasure. Have a wonderful evening.